CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. Welcome to W5. If you've ever lost sight of your child, even for just a fraction of a second, you know the terror that sets in. Now imagine living with that feeling for a year and a half. Tonight, a one-hour special into the disappearance of a three-year-old boy in Truro, Nova Scotia. How the mystery has fractured a family, divided a community, and raised some serious questions about the way the case was investigated. It's the relentless search for clues, any shred of evidence. So I think the plan today is we're gonna check this entire area in case we miss anything. It's the wide awake nightmare of losing a child. He said, Dylan's missing. And I said, what? And the whole world fell apart right there. I hit the ground, started crying. It's the anguish of not knowing. We don't know if he was taken. We don't know if he if he drowned. We just, we don't know if he's alive. We're stuck in limbo. Ashley and Jason have been in that limbo since May 6th, 2020. Tonight, still no sign of Dylan. The heartbreaking search for a missing three-year-old boy. How's everybody making out? Pretty good, not bad. The day of this search marks 16 excruciating months since three-year-old Dylan Ehler vanished. If you're happy and you know I clap your hands. If you're happy and you know I clap your hands. Gone almost without a trace in Truro, Nova Scotia. It feels like day one over and over and over. I just want him to come home. Official search and rescue missions have long been abandoned. There we go. But since he's vanished, sometimes two or three times a week, Dylan's dad, Jason, and a small group of volunteers have been desperately searching and hoping. The only time I, I feel at peace is when I'm searching for him. I can breathe. When I'm not, I can't breathe. Dylan's mother, Ashley, is living a life suspended in time. When I walk through this house, I see signs of Dylan everywhere. His job chart, mm -hmm. his photographs, his drawings. It keeps him present here. It keeps him with us so that we can feel him. Sorry, that was a very emotional question. It means everything does to have his stuff here and be surrounded by him. It's just here waiting for him to come home. Can I ask about these presents in the corner? So those are all Dylan's Christmas presents. Birthday presents. And um, my presents because I won't open a present again until he's found. Dylan's still missing. There's no God. I've prayed so many times. It, like, there's just nothing. 
Ashley and Jason have been praying for Dylan to come home since that day in May of 2020, when he was dropped off at his grandmother's home for a visit. I gave him a hug and a kiss, and I told him to be good. I loved him. Dylan was at his grandmother's residence on Queen Street playing outside. Uh, his grandmother became briefly distracted and uh, turned around for a moment. And when she turned back, uh, Dylan was no longer in the yard. So many what ifs, woulda, shoulda, couldas, like, and that'll probably be with me the rest of my life. Dorothy Parsons is Ashley's mother, Dylan's grandma. On that last day when you were with Dylan, what was he like? He was a very happy little boy that day, very happy. And I'll never forget that little smile. <laughs> I'd do anything to get that time back, anything. This is the last place where Dylan was seen. Can you walk me through what happened on the day Dylan disappeared? I decided to bring him outside to play, so we come over to here and I just kind of get the dog and I get like I got her chain and then after I got her hooked up I turned around and he's nowhere. The police immediately focused on a brook behind her neighbor's backyard. Search and rescue crews battled high waters and raging currents before making a discovery that evening. Dylan's rubber boots. One was found in the brook, in Leper Brook, uh, probably closer to the property uh, that the family owns. And then one was found further down the brook. When the chief came in, he had a picture of boots on his phone. And when I seen them, I just, I knew that they were his. And, and that, that was it. I just, I started bawling and knew that they were Dylan's boots. <laughs> Was it like this when Dylan went missing? No, it was nothing like this. The grass is much higher, the water much lower than it was the day Dylan disappeared. Oh, so the creek is right here. Yeah, the creek's right here, the brook, Leopard's Brook. Jason leads us to the exact spot where the boots were found. So one boot was found here. Mm -hmm. Where was the other one found in relation to where we are now? Um, the other one was actually maybe 500 meters down the brook, and it was emerged underwater also, but it never made it to the river. So this feeds into Salmon River? Yes, correct. And then what happens with Salmon River? Salmon River feeds into the Bay of Fundy and then into the Atlantic. The police were working on a theory early that Dylan bolted from his grandmother's house towards this brook, that his body was swept down to the Salmon River and out to the Bay of Fundy. A mannequin the same weight and height as Dylan was used to see if it was possible for a boy his size to be pulled down the creek and out to sea. But by then, the water levels had dropped significantly, and the mannequin didn't float freely without getting caught in debris. They tried it, must have been half a dozen times. What does that tell you? It tells me the brook didn't have enough power to push out some boots, but it pushed a 32-pound child out. Nothing makes sense. The science doesn't even make sense to it. The official search lasted six days before being called off. 
My dreams are horrible. My dreams are nightmares. Every dream I have, I'm searching and I find them, but I can't get to them. I just see him from behind. So I just never get to him. It's like day one, all I want to do is pick him up, take him to my house. The mystery of what happened to Dylan has consumed his parents and the small town of Truro, population 12,000. In the early days, the community rallied around Jason and Ashley, leaving boots out on their front porches, creating a memorial with Dylan's favorite toys and blankets, volunteering for searches. This is Ashley one week after her son disappeared. We didn't expect people to, to reach out like they have been. It's a small comfort that people are out there helping and, you know, want to bring him home as much as we do. The days and weeks dragged on without any signs, any clues beyond those rubber boots. One month after the disappearance, Jason and Ashley announced a crowdfunded $10,000 reward in the event that Dylan had been abducted. Please bring him home because I need him. We miss him. Um, He's everything. But soon after, the tide of support for Ashley and Jason whiplashed from sympathy to suspicion. There are people that were saying that, you know, we must have sat up all night and, and rehearsed what we were going to say. And, you know, they I just think that I should be crying more. And then when we do cry, you know, it's crocodile tears. Public scrutiny intensified after word got out that all was not right in the Ehler home. That four days before Dylan vanished, police had been called. After I got laid off um, from work for COVID reasons, you know, all of us were in the house together and it, it got stressful. You know, we were arguing and it just escalated and, and then the police were called. I threatened her. I said, I'm going to kill you. I didn't mean it. It was just out of anger. And you were both charged with domestic violence? Yes. And why was Ashley charged? Because she punched me. That was enough for online sleuths to start combing into Jason and Ashley's past. And then they believed they hit pay dirt. You ever just look at somebody and think to yourself, this mother gonna be the reason I go to jail. This is a TikTok video Ashley made and posted just weeks before Dylan disappeared. It was, I believe, from the show The Tiger King. Dylan was on my lap during that video and, and people ran with it and thought that it was inappropriate and they found a second strange video on social media as well. Huh? Come on, we can't delay. What did you do? No one can see him on the floor. Get him out the door before he can decay. The second video was a parody song of Frozen. It was a parody of Will You Help Me Build a Snowman? And it was Will You Help Me Hide a Body? I need to ask you straight out. Did you have anything to do with the disappearance of your son? No. No. 
I love my son more than anything. <laughs> Coming up. They never treated Dylan's case like a criminal investigation. Frustration with police procedure. They waited three hours before issuing an alert that a three-year-old was missing. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Not if long after three-year-old Dylan Ehler disappeared in Truro, Nova Scotia. No one can see him on the floor. Strange TikTok videos featuring his mother surfaced. You ever just look at somebody and think to yourself, this mother is gonna be the reason I go to jail. Posted a couple of weeks before the toddler vanished in May of 2020, it sent the rumor mill into overdrive. Fueled by the allegations of domestic violence and the fact that little evidence had been found, dozens of groups started popping up, all posting theories wilder than the last. Ashley and Jason just had a fight only a few days before. Then all of a sudden, Dylan goes missing. Sounds too much of a coincidence and fishy for her not to be put in the hot seat. You are a disgusting bitch. I hope you get it in jail. Making TikToks with your son and saying that type of thing? What kind of mother are you? Those videos, when people look at them after your son has disappeared, you can understand how they might think, well, these are bizarre things to post about her son. Yeah. I can see after the fact how people could, could think that. But on the other side of it, there's also been, you know, thousands of other people doing the exact same ones um, with their kids in the videos. You went from grieving mother that everyone was trying to support to murder suspect in the eyes of, of amateur sleuths and the people in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It felt as if, like, everybody just, you know, turned on me and... You know, all because of a few TikTok videos that meant nothing. And I don't understand it. I might have some things in my history that you don't like, but that absolutely doesn't make me a monster. When Truro police caught wind of the videos, they had a new interest in Ashley. When you saw Ashley's TikToks, yes. when they surfaced, yeah. did that tweak something in you th in terms of the criminal investigation? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that was a bizarre uh, TikTok, let's say, and uh, just at a bad time. So that was fully investigated as well. Dave McNeil is the chief of the Truro Police Department. I've never seen a case actually in all my career take on a life of its own, such as this case. Police made it clear at the time that they didn't believe the TikToks or the domestic violence charges had anything to do with Dylan's disappearance. But that didn't stop the accusations. His mother and grandmother have killed him. They are known Satan worshippers. This was a sacrificial ritual, ritual on, the on the full, full moon, moon to, Satan. to Satan, which is why the mother doesn't seem as remorseful as we'd expect. She believes she did a good thing. Yeah. Wow. Halifax lawyer Allison Harris has compiled pages and pages of vicious rumors that Ashley and Jason were negligent or worse murderers. Ashley talked about being afraid to go to the grocery store. 
Um, I know that some of their family members would be yelled baby killer as they walked on the road. What was that meeting like? They came to you and said, look what they're doing to us online. They're accusing us of killing our baby. I just knew when I walked away that I was going to find a way to help them. Allison Harris combed through the law books and formulated a plan. She would try to shut down the online groups with Nova Scotia's rarely used anti-cyberbullying law, groundbreaking legislation that was set up after Retea Parsons died by suicide in 2013 after being bullied online. Harris targeted what she felt was one of the nastier groups, a Facebook site that had 17,000 members. The people behind the Facebook group that you targeted aren't strangers behind a keyboard. That's almost the more upsetting part, um, realizing that these people who, you know, were strangers to Ashley and Jason, didn't know them before this, but are actually members of the community. Some of them actually were showing up with searches. The tragic thing in all of this is that the most salient part of this story, the disappearance of a three-year-old boy, seems to be lost. Yeah, really has. That's what I find the saddest part about this story. You know, and that's really all Jason and Ashley wanted to focus on right from the beginning. Finding Dylan. The parents of a toddler who disappeared last spring are taking their fight against cyberbullying to court. And more than a year after Dylan went missing, a victory in the courts. You won. Essentially, yes. The administrators of the Facebook page were ordered to shut it down. But by then, the damage had been done. Dylan's memorial was destroyed after rumors surfaced that he might have been buried there. And phony ransom demands started pouring in. Well, we've had about seven or eight ransoms. Were people actually trying to connect with you and say, we have your son? Well, that they're going to kill my son if we don't give them so much money. A guy sent a picture of, uh, I think it was a picture of maybe Dylan, but it was all photoshopped and looked like he had bruises on his face and stuff. And he wanted three Bitcoin, which is worth 40-some thousand dollars um, on traceable money. There was another one where um, he said he had Dylan in the truck and he tossed him out the window doing 100 kilometers if I didn't send him a couple thousand dollars. Police were never able to track down the people behind those ransom demands. And their investigation into Dylan's disappearance involved questioning everyone in the little boy's circle, including the last person to see him that day in May of 2020. Grandmother Dorothy Parsons was asked by police to recreate the final moments before he disappeared. This process of hooking up the, the dog, mm -hmm. turning your back on Dylan, how long did that take? Seconds. Like, they, we redid it with the police, and he, said, he timed it in about 18 seconds. 18 seconds, you didn't have your eyes on Dylan, and he was gone. Yeah. In that time, Dylan would have had to run at least 81 meters between the fence, across a neighbor's backyard, and through brush to get down to the brook. Once they found out how much Dylan likes water, they went with that, stuck with that, wouldn't even entertain any other scenario whatsoever, even though I'm telling them that I think he was taken. You told the police that right off the bat? Yeah, I did. And I said it three or four times. 
I think he was taken. While Dorothy believes Dylan was snatched, her own daughter and Jason think she's holding back vital information about what happened that day. Did your dog get away? Did you put your dog inside? Did you make a mistake and you're just not saying it? I just know something's wrong. I've felt it since day one. Jason and Ashley both feel as though there's just something missing and that you're not sharing it because you're scared of getting charged criminally with neglect. There's nothing that's a secret. Even I know there's something not right. There's a puzzle piece missing. And you don't have the piece of that and puzzle? And I don't have it. I don't have that piece. According to Dorothy, she took three different lie detector tests. She says her version of events has never wavered. Are you responsible for your grandson's disappearance? In my mind, yes. Reality, probably yes. Because he was with me and I turned my back. So I'll always feel responsible. Like, I'm just sorry that I even brought him outside. And if I could get those 18 seconds back. You call your mom Dorothy. I do. Why? After my son went missing. I can't look at her. I can't speak to her. I don't want her in my life. I just, I don't consider her a mother anymore. This has ripped your life apart in every way. It really has. This tragedy has fractured a family and divided a small town. It's also put a spotlight on the way police investigated the case of a three-year-old who vanished almost without a trace. When a three-year-old goes missing, that's generally alarm bells go off immediately. Mm -hmm. When did police alert the public that Dylan was missing? 4.30 p.m. How many hours after the 911 call is that? Three hours. You're telling me they waited three hours before issuing an alert that a three-year-old was missing? Yeah. Yeah. Breaks my heart. He, he, I believe that he could have had a chance. I think they screwed up. A public alert wasn't issued until three hours and eight minutes after the 911 call. It took almost two and a half hours before search and rescue had boots on the ground. It's almost as if the, the police found the boots in the water. So that's, that's their answer, case solved. You believe they found those boots, and it was from then on, it was in their head, he fell in the, in the brook. They never treated Dylan's case like a criminal investigation. They, they just treated it like a search and rescue. I know that they didn't block off any streets. They didn't stop the public from coming into the crime scene or the area that he went missing. And they were very late on issuing alerts and, and getting help. You know, so I think that Tunnel Vision did have a play in that. You know, once they found the boots, and that, that was it. 
that's where he went, and essentially they, the police tell us that we need to accept it and move on. Remember, the official search was canceled after six days. So frustrated and so desperate, Jason began conducting his own searches, sometimes two and three a week. He also scraped together enough money to hire a private investigator. I can accept uh, the drowning theory if everything else has been eliminated. Dave Worrell is a former RCMP detective who spent 35 years investigating major crimes, including cold cases. For him, there are questions about Dorothy's recollections. There were pieces in her story that I'd be a little concerned about, especially the timeline. This is the last spot that Dorothy says she saw Dylan. Now, there are only two ways out of this backyard. He either would have bolted for Queen Street, this busy street here, or he made his way through this gap in the fence and headed for the water. The police theory is that Dylan was drawn to the water and was washed away by the strong current. But Worrell says police didn't seem to even entertain the possibility that the three-year-old may have headed toward the street. We did canvassing on Queen Street too because that was my concern and the police hadn't done anything on Queen Street. Police didn't canvass on Queen Street? I don't think, I don't think. Anybody we talked to said they've never been approached. There's only two ways that boy could have gone. You go back to Queen Street six months later mm -hmm. and interview people along there, prime areas of where he would have been, yeah. potentially, yeah. and the people tell you they've never been spoken to by police. That's what they told us. You must have been shocked. Yeah, I mean, shocked or not surprised. I mean, you know, if, if you don't have a good team and that's all they do is go out and knock on doors for the next two or three, six hours, right? Then, you know, it could, be, it could have been a manpower thing. Dave Worrell says police had initially agreed to meet him about the case, but that meeting was abruptly called off. What do you think was behind them canceling this meeting with you? Um, I did, you know, all along, there's, I think there's been friction between Jason and uh, the police. That tension peaked after Jason organized this protest that ended up in the lobby of police headquarters. We want help! We want help! We want help! Everyone here is currently in breach of the COVID regulations. You're being asked to leave. Jason had for months been bombarding police with emails and online allegations that they weren't doing their job. He filed two separate complaints into the way Truro police were handling the investigation and became so alienating that police cut off all in-person contact with him, citing his abusive emails, voicemails, social media posts, and misinformation about his son's disappearance. When I made my police complaint, um, Chief McNeil called me and said, you've slowed down your son's investigation. You're not to talk to the lead investigator and you're to get one email a week because you filed a complaint. I was instantly angry. What do you mean that's going to slow down my son's investigation because I think you guys did something wrong? You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they think about us. The child's missing. Who gives a shit about us? Do you think the police are punishing Jason for speaking out against the way this investigation has been conducted? Yes. 
you know, I, I understand that maybe they don't like the little rock in their shoe, but that's, it's kind of too bad. It's, it's our son, and I can't imagine they would act any differently if they were in our shoes. Coming up. I wasn't allowed to be part of it. A family torn apart by tragedy. God, that's got to hurt. Yep. When W5 continues. In the absence of facts, conspiracy thrives. The mystery of what happened to three-year-old Dylan Ehler, who vanished in Truro, Nova Scotia, has triggered some wild theories. But one aspect has not been fully explored until now. The police and search and rescue response to the tragedy. On the one-year anniversary of Dylan Ehler's disappearance in Truro, Nova Scotia, his mother Ashley and father Jason held a small ceremony on the bank of the Leper Brook. Where's Dylan? It's been 365 days without him. It's hard to believe it's been a year already. We made little paper boats for Dylan. We decorated them and uh, we sent them floating down the Saber River. I thought maybe that's something that he would like. And uh, it was hard, but you know, I like seeing the support and having other people come and, and join in too. But not everyone was welcome. At the one year anniversary of the memorial that was held down here, Everyone was all around the water, and you were way back, not a part of it. I wasn't allowed to be part of it. Because you're seen as the person who's responsible for this. Yeah. God, that's got to hurt. Yep. It does. It won't be the same ever again, probably. The family has been ripped apart. But on one topic, they are united. Their belief that police bungled the case. We're very confident in our investigation. It was very thorough. Uh, you know, th there was no stone left unturned. Dave McNeil is the chief of the Truro Police Department. He sat down with W5 for a wide-ranging interview about the critical hours after Dylan vanished. Why was an Amber Alert not issued when Dylan disappeared? So an Amber Alert's only reserved for uh, when there's a confirmed uh, criminality. There's a very strict criteria that's used in issuing an Amber Alert, so this case didn't rise to that. You're saying that there has to be proof of criminality before an Amber there Alert? There has to be evidence of criminality or an abduction or something of that nature. Amber Alerts are used for only a very small percentage of cases and they're reserved for very specific cases. And so what's called a non-intrusive public alert was sent out by the province's EMO the Emergency Management Office. But not until 4.32 p.m. Dylan was reported missing to police at 1.24. Why would there be a delay of more than three hours before the public is alerted that a three-year-old boy is missing? Well, the public was alerted. They just, the, the non-intrusive alert took some time to get out through EMO, and that's outside of our control. That's with EMO. 
but the EMO couldn't send out its alert until directed to do so by police. The EMO tells W5 they received the approved message from Truro Police about the missing child at 4.13 p.m. 19 minutes later, at 4.32, the alert went out. That means it took police two hours and 49 minutes to relay information to the emergency office that a three-year-old was missing. You feel confident that the public was alerted quickly enough yeah, that absolutely. this boy had disappeared? Absolutely. Local radio, our local Facebook pages, uh, Town of Truro website, Town of Truro Facebook page, Police Service Facebook page. It's a small community, so those, those networks are actually more effective locally than, uh, than, than another type of alert. So those were done uh, very shortly after we established that the young fellow was missing. So a, a, a press release was sent out to all those agencies saying that... I'm not, I don't think a press release formal uh, was out, but definitely messaging on a phone call to radio and, and uh, social media pages for sure. In fact, there is no record of any alerts or advisories on the Truro Police or Town Facebook pages on May 6, 2020, the day Dylan disappeared. The Town Twitter account did tweet out Dylan's disappearance within an hour. There were questions online about why a public alert wasn't being issued. Clearly, like, time is of the essence mm -hmm. in a disappearance, especially of a three-year-old. For sure. You know that there's water around there. Yeah. You know that there's a busy street. That's Seems right. like there was some delay in taking this seriously. I'll be absolutely clear with you. There was no hesitation. Police were there within five minutes of the call. Supervisor was there within eight to ten minutes of the call. Canine was there on scene within 40 minutes of the call. Ground search and rescue was put on standby within an hour. Helicopter was on scene very quickly. So all, all the moving parts happened and it was taken very serious. So I, I'm kind of offended that you would, would insinuate that we didn't take it serious because I can tell you we did. Here is the timeline. At 1.24 p.m., police received the 911 call. Search and rescue didn't have boots on the ground until 3.45, two hours and 21 minutes after Dylan was reported missing. We know what we have to do. Our members are trained. Tom Fitzpatrick is president of the Colchester Ground Search and Rescue Team. He was in charge of the search for Dylan. As an outsider looking in, when you see that at 1.30ish, mm -hmm. a three-year-old boy disappears, and that it takes hours to get the most important people, you guys, mm -hmm. out there, that feels like a long time. It does, it does, and it's, and it's a norm though. It is very much a norm. We're not allowed to activate ourselves. We have to be activated by a police force. So why do you think police took so long to activate you? They were managing the scene from what we can tell. Would the odds of finding Dylan have been better had you guys been out there faster? I would say no, but could we have been on the ground faster? Yes, we could have been. We could have been on the ground faster, but the outcome of it, um, I don't think would have been any different. Chief McNeil denies complaints that the disappearance wasn't treated as a potential crime and says the neighborhood was thoroughly canvassed after Dylan disappeared. Jason's official complaint triggered a review of the police investigation by a neighboring police chief. Amherst Chief Dwayne Pike writes that he conducted a complete review of the Truro file and concludes, sadly, not all investigations come to a successful conclusion, but by no means does that mean that the investigating agency was negligent or unprofessional. 
a big part of your mission as chief of police is community engagement. Correct. Yeah. How would you describe the engagement that you've had with Jason? Uh, with Mr. Euler himself? <clears throat> Obviously, our heart breaks for Jason. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, and uh, I think he lashes out a little bit because uh, he's hurting. So we've, we've given Jason a, a very wide uh, courtesy. However, uh, when we update the family, if it's disruptive to have someone there that's disrupting the meeting or taping the conversations secretly and then putting bits and pieces online to create a narrative, that's not productive to the investigation. It's not productive to the family healing. We would love nothing more than to find Dylan healthy and alive or, you know, recover Dylan for his family. This has been hard on everybody. I feel for the family and it's been tough on the community. Coming up. If there's anything, absolutely anything that shows up, we'd be back on the search. Without a trace, hope fades for a broken family. How can you even say that if you have no proof? When W5 continues. The Bay of Fundy is one of the seven wonders of North America. It has a phenomenon known as a tidal bore. Twice a day, the leading edge of the powerful tide creates a standing wave of water that travels upstream, changing the direction of the current and extending the Bay of Fundy's tides into the extensive network of nearby rivers and streams. The Bay of Fundy is known for the highest tides in the world. Uh, you can go out there on low tide and you can see miles and miles of mudflats. You'll see a fishing boat sitting on the bottom and come back at high tide. That fishing boat's now 50 feet higher in the water. Tom Fitzpatrick is president of the Colchester Ground Search and Rescue Team in charge of the search operation. One of the biggest questions that we had in our minds that we really wanted to know was could he reach the influence of the tidal waters? So what we wanted to know is, first of all, could a mannequin of that, that, that those, those parameters reach that? And that was one of the big questions we had. And what did you find? We found it could reach it. And I mean, this is two weeks afterwards. The mannequin did get caught up in debris along the way, as Jason has said. But Tom maintains it did eventually make its way to the Bay of Fundy despite the fact that on the day of the test, the water was half a meter lower than the day Dylan disappeared. Prior to Dylan going missing, we had two days of heavy rain. So Leper Brook uh, on that day um, was overflowing its banks. How high up would it have been? I would say it would have been, for myself, almost chest height in some spots. So up to here? Yeah. Grown firemen that are dressed and trained to work in water, it was almost sweeping them off their feet. And this is three to four hours after the fact that this is happening, that it's still almost sweeping them off their feet. What you're saying is... It was fast. ...that if he fell in there... He was gone very quickly. Tom believes Dylan was drawn to the raging water. We take a profile for a three-year-old child missing, all right? Some of the things we look at is what we call as a reflector things that would attract them. And one of the things that would attract a three-year-old child is water. It was rushing so loud. You could actually hear it rushing, it was so loud. What I can't wrap my head around is if the boots didn't go out to the Bay of Fundy, why do you believe that Dylan did? Because of his size and his weight. His size and his weight, he would have pushed small objects away 
He would have pushed small objects away where the boots got caught up actually in debris along the sides and in the water. Jason's vocal online and in-person criticism of the way the search was conducted has left deep wounds. I have a three-year-old grandson. So it's a challenge. We put a lot of hours, a lot of hours. The members put a lot of hours. Ridicule and criticism on our members and that stuff that we've received has been unjustified. And we feel with the family, but the family's got to realize that we've done what we can do. If there's anything, absolutely anything, that shows up, we'd be back on the search. When you look back at the way this investigation was handled, mm -hmm. is there anything that you would do differently? No, not from an investigative standpoint or a resource standpoint or calling in uh, specialists or anything. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't have the desired outcome that we want or the family wants, but we're still working and we're still, we're not gonna give up on it, Dylan. The lure of the water, the swollen brook that feeds into rivers connected to the highest tides in the world. Police and search and rescue say the most likely answer to what happened to Dylan Ehler lies in the waters that lead to the Bay of Fundy. It's not a theory Jason or Ashley are quite willing to accept. You know, I, I still have that hope that you know, someday, you know, maybe somebody's taking care of him and maybe someday, you know, he can come home because it has happened. Some people might say, Jason, that you're just grasping at straws, that you are just looking for answers that aren't there and that the reality is Dylan fell into that brook and was swept out to sea. Prove it. That's what I'd say. Prove that to me. How can you even say that if you have no proof? You found a pair of boots someone could have tossed in off two different, well, off the train bridge or the road. And so Jason relentlessly continues to search, two, sometimes three times a week, with an ever-shrinking team of volunteers, scouring for something, anything, that might give him the proof he needs to solve the mystery of what happened to his son. And this is this mental torture that you're going through. Every day. When you're out there doing those searches, it's this split, right? I mean. You want to find him. So badly. But you don't want to find him. I don't want to find him at the same time, because then that means he's, he's gone. And that might end me. <laughs> I don't think I have anything left once that happens. If, that, if that's the, the outcome, I don't think I have anything left in this world. I have to find him either way. I'm never going to stop. He's my only child. He's my everything. While Jason vows to never give up searching, this tragedy has sparked a demand to change the alert system in Nova Scotia, especially when a child goes missing. We have details of a petition that's been launched in Dylan's name on our website, w5.ctvnews.ca. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes.